Welcome to Originality, the show where we explore the roots of creativity and creative genius. And we talk to various creative geniuses about what they do and why they are the way they are. And we explore all things creative. We're your hosts, Aline Sims. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm joined as ever by Kay Tempest Bradford, whose pronouns are also she, her. And it's just us today again. These are some of my favorite episodes. Hey, Tempest. Hello. How's it going? Ah. But yeah. hey, it's all it's the summertime, <laughs> so we get to dance around and sing that one song. Summer, summer, summertime. Oh wow. Ooh, I can also sing my Throwback. my song about June because it's June. Because it's June. June, June, June. Wow. You have a repertoire. So many things to sing about. All right. Well. I could just sit here and listen to Tempest sing to me. Uh, I would be totally June, okay June, with that. June. But um, actually, Tempest, why don't you talk about uh, today's topic since it was okay. your brainchild? Indeed. Um, today we're going to talk about the roots of creative genius in childhood and how sometimes people uh, people's creativity is suppressed um, because of their family or their culture and how it's never too late to actually be creative. Although some people think, you know, they're like, oh, I'm this age, I'm that age, I'm too old to be creative. Untrue. So we're going to talk about that today. I think that something that a lot of us feel for a lot of avenues in our lives is how it's too late to be a thing or to realize that we're a thing. Since it's June and it's Pride Month, why not relate this to pride? You know, like I didn't realize my own queerness until my 30s and some aspects of that until my late 30s. And I mean, we're talking like the last couple of years. Um, and in some ways that feels like, um, well, are you sure? Are you sure that that's the truth? Because, you know, you're kind of old to be realizing this. But the fact of the matter Uh-oh. is... <laughs> The fact of the matter is that um, the world is a big place and not everybody is exposed to everything. And if you're not constantly thinking and realizing things about yourself or bringing new knowledge on board, then, you know, I feel like that's a choice that you're making. You're you're choosing not to pay attention to more than your kind of established circle and you're choosing not to go outside of that. And that might not yeah. be a bad thing. I'm not saying this is a condemnation necessarily. I think in some cases it is, but it isn't necessarily. Anyway, all of that is to say like it's not too late. We are constantly learning. We are constantly evolving. And so I think that it is very, very human and very, maybe not necessarily natural, but it's definitely not unnatural to kind of break outside of your boundaries and and try new things. And if that means trying new ways to be creative and whatever whatever that looks like, do it, man, do it. Yeah, exactly. And um, I've been thinking about this for a few years and it's because it's, I started thinking about it because a few years back, and we've talked about this on the show before about how I like learned about bullet journaling. And I was like, huh, let me just look into this. And I would go on Instagram and there would be all these like really complicated layouts for the bullet journal with 16 different pen colors and the stickers and the things. And I was like, I can't do it. What What the heck? Mm-hmm. What is this? And so I'd be like, I'm intimidated by bullet journaling. And that. And then later on, I learned that the actual bullet journal- journaling system itself is not actually all that complicated. It's just that a lot of people who uh, got into it, especially right after um, it, it sort of burst into everybody's consciousness, they were doing all these complicated layouts, but that was not something that I had to do. However, in talking to a friend of mine about why there were so many complicated layouts with the 15 colors and the, 
you know, very excessive drawing. I felt they were excessive. They're not excessive to the people who do them. But like They're for me, beautiful. I was like, that's so excessive. They're beautiful. But also I'm like, I can't do that. Like, what the heck? I was talking to a friend about why, like, like what was it about bullet journaling that caused this phenomenon? And, sh- and she was saying to me, well, a lot of the people who are really into that kind of bullet journaling are women who very likely have been not allowed to be creative. And I was like, tell me more about this. And she was saying that, yeah, there's like, you know, sometimes it has to do with class. Sometimes it has to do with culture, but you will get these people, especially women, not only, but especially women who are discouraged from their like creative pursuits. And then comes along the system of bullet journaling that they can finally use their artistic creativity that they always had within them to do something that has something to do with productivity, which is acceptable in our society, right? It's like, oh, you know, I've spent like 50 years like making the perfect bullet journal layout, but then it's okay because it's a bullet journal layout and therefore it means that I'm going to get stuff done. My habit tracker is the most beautiful habit tracker that ever was. And also I'm tracking my habits. And I found that to be both fascinating and very sad because I'm like, why are people like telling women that they can't like be creative? How come these women can't like have art classes and stuff? Um, And I know that some of it has to do with sort of American society in general being like, you can't make a living off of art. So therefore you shouldn't art. And I'm like, yeah, shut up. Um, but and also their school systems. Yeah. Like they, they keep taking the art out of the school. Right. So can't have that. Um, and so, yeah, like just thinking about how many people are suppressed creative people who are only allowed to express their creativity as long as it has something to do with productivity or something that can be, you know, sold or whatever. And how how often does that actually suppress creative geniuses? I also was thinking about this a little more recently and mostly in relation to like my particular upbringing versus some other people's because I've been on TikTok for the past, like I want to say about a year, maybe a little bit more than a year. <sighs> oh, TikTok. But <laughs> one of the things that I, like one of the things I follow on TikTok is the people who have ADHD or autism or other neuro uh, diversities, neurodiversity. I don't like neurodivergent. I like neurodiversity. Neurospiciness. And is neurospiciness. The, is the TikTok parlance. <laughs> and and they're talking about these issues that they had growing up, where somebody was like, "You have to like." Basically, they learn to mask, and they're they're like trying to show like how I would react to music if I wasn't masking. And I would see these videos literally like side by side, one person listening to music and masking. And so they're just sitting there listening to it. Like they're not moving or whatever. They're just listening. And then they're like, and this is how I listen to music when I'm not masking. And they're, you know, moving their body, dancing around. And I'm like, I do that all the time. And no one ever told me that that was wrong or that I shouldn't. And I'm like, I don't know if it's like accidentally or or what, but like, I feel very lucky because nobody ever told me to stop doing the things that I have seen people on TikTok who said, like, my teachers actively stopped me from doing this and, like, I was punished for doing that or yelled at or whatever. And they're all behaviors that I have. Now, I'm not, I don't believe, on the autism spectrum, I do have ADHD. And so a lot of my stuff would be, like, I stim a little bit. I do dance around like when there's music um, that I'm just listening to by myself. Uh, and there are a few other things. But again, it made me wonder how many people are like having their aspects of their personality suppressed, some of which are creative aspects of their personality by the people around them, by their teachers, by their family, by, you know, whoever. Um, and and I think that that, very often happens to people who are neurodiverse, but apparently it's also happening to women. Um, and maybe it's not exclusive to women, but it, but that's that's sort of like the people who do the bullet journaling thing, as I said, who do who are very creative with it tend to be women, but it's not exclusively women, right? So so yeah, like I just 
I'm I'm very interested in how many people, like how many geniuses have been su- suppressed by our horrible neurotypical capitalist American society. Well, I have long said that I feel like uh, school and high school especially did a lot to pound creativity out of me. And I have spent a lot of my adulthood trying to overcome that because like the, there's a Ted talk and I'll see if I can find it to put in the show notes was done years ago. And like, TED Talks are, you know, like, there's a broad spectrum of TED Talk quality. Um, But this one talks specifically about how um, the American school system was designed to create people to be interchangeable parts in, you know, like, to, to fit industrial roles, basically. Like, we needed an economy that could be fairly stable, and so we needed... People, we needed a workforce, a work base who had a fairly standardized, like, knowledge base. And that's where things like standardized testing and, you know, like meeting certain metrics and all of that stuff um, originated from. I don't know if this is like 100% accurate. I don't know if, like, he had, you know, like, his citations ready or anything, but it made sense to me as I was listening. And I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that having an educated population is a good thing. I think it's important. But the the trouble is that, you know, you're focused on making people who know you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, um, but you're not you're not talking about people who know that um, drawings are composed of shapes. Like you break any drawing down, and it's at its most basic. It's just a bunch of shapes that are put together with fancy lines, right? And with tricks of color. That that's what drawing is. Now, I, I I have not honed any kind of drawing skill, but I you know, this is a thing I know. Um, and we have further and further and further defunded the arts over time. Um, you add in rural America, which I can speak to, you know, my hometown was fewer than a thousand people. Um, my graduating class, I was one of 24 students. Um, there was not a big city around. It's not like I didn't grow out, grow up in uh, a suburb. It wasn't a private school. This was the school in the county, right? Um, we did not have a music program. Um, we had to take art for one quarter in high school. That That was the sum of it um there was wood shop which was optional which i really wish i would have done but i did not um like electives where we could we could do wood shop or we could do vocational agriculture um like so you're talking about like as a as a, a country and a culture our priority has not been on teaching people how to explore creativity it has been even even in classes that lend themselves lend themselves to creativity like you know math at least in the the basics of math when you're learning how to multiply and divide and add and subtract like there are a limited number of ways you can do that there's not a lot of wiggle room right but even the creative classes like english it's like okay and this is a five paragraph essay this is how you write for a a newspaper this is how you you know like and um and there's not an exploration of how language can be beautiful right it's like how is this information conveyed it's not 
Let's look at this sentence and what makes this sentence sound so pretty. It's not looking, I, we didn't have like art appreciation classes in, in any of my schooling. And I don't think that that's a common thing. Maybe that is in some schools and high schools, but I don't think that that's very common. But like, oh, let's look at this painting and see how, how the, the light conveys a mood, right? Like see, or even let's watch this movie and see how the sets are lit differently and how that makes us feel different, right? It's not a thing that we teach in schools. And so I do think that it limits us as individuals and I do think that it hampers us as a society because especially today, in today's day and age, you know, back when when we were growing up, it kind of like, I don't know, the dawn of the computer revolution when, <laughs> you know, like when... When I was in elementary school, we had a couple of like Apple IIEs, you know, we were playing Oregon Trail every once in a while, but it, we never ever thought that we would carry computers in our pockets or wear, wear complicated computers on our wrists, you know, um, that our cars would entirely rely on software. We have, my husband and I have a Tesla, so it's just like, if I stop to think about that, it terrifies me because it's like, oh, this this isn't very mechanical at all, you know? And so, <laughs> especially now, I think that there, there's a lot of creative thought that we really, really need that I think that a lot of us, and myself included, I think it's a lot of why I wanted to do the show with you is like, so often I don't feel like I'm creative. And I want to know how to be more creative. And so that's why I'm here is like, someone tell me the secrets. What is the secret sauce? Um, and yeah, like, I think it's important. And I think, I, I think that we need to figure out how to foster it more. And I think it's tragic. And I am so glad that things like bullet journaling exist to help people find an outlet for their creativity. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also I also want people to know that they don't have to use a bullet journal to be creative, right? Like how do you get across that permission to people um to say that you don't have to tie your creativity to something that has something to do with productivity. Yeah. I mean, heck, if it if making very beautiful fancy intricate layouts in your bullet journal brings you joy, go for it. Like, yay, all the things that bring you joy. Um, but yeah, then I, then I think about like, but does that mean that people are only doing their art in bullet journals? Has, has bullet journaling unlocked for them the fact that they can do art or are they still like only thinking that like, that's the only acceptable place for it? Um, and, and it's like the second one is the thing that I want to banish. And it would be so wonderful if bullet journaling was a gateway for somebody to unlock their creativity and to be able to do more of it. And I also want to like touch on something that you said earlier where it's like, oh, you know, well, it's too late now because I'm such and such an age. But the thing is, no, um, <laughs> like I can't even put it any, I, I don't even want to make it flowery. No, it's never too late. Um, it's never too late for a few reasons. Number one being like, even though we place a lot of, uh, I guess, sort of like cultural weight on the young genius, the prodigy, whatever, um, that's just some fancy bullpucky, right? Because no matter what age you begin your journey into creativity, you are still a valid artist, right? Like you're not behind anyone because you didn't do blah, blah, blah at 18 or 13 or whatever, or you published your first book at like 50 or 60 or 70, like you're not behind because, and I saw this, you know, like an, on an inspirational poster on Instagram recently where it's like, you, you know, you're not in a race with other people. You are only in a race with yourself. 
So at whatever time you have decided to do the thing or the, you know, the creativity comes out of you is totally the right time, like period, point blank. And, um, and, and then that it, it makes me wonder then, like, how do you get people to discover that they're creative geniuses if it hasn't been, if they haven't been encouraged to do that? If the creativity has actually been beaten out of them um, or they're made to feel like if they can't create art that is sellable, then that means that they shouldn't create art. And we've talked a little bit about this, too, in the past, right? Like not every piece of art has to be good enough to sell in order to be art, in order to be like good art for you. Like you don't even have to show anybody your art for your art to be meaningful. But that is and again, it's a sort of like an American slash Western mindset that if you can't do art good, then you shouldn't do art. So I, and, and it just makes me want to go out and shake people who say things like that, but also to figure out like, how do you inspire somebody to do art, even if they've been told that they shouldn't do art for whatever reason? I think it's a really hard problem. And I think a lot of it boils down to how achievement focused we are as a society to your point, you know, um, 30 under 30 lists. And um, I don't know in school, like what your grade point average is or who was the star quarterback or the head cheerleader or whatever, um, lead researcher, you know, whatever it is. And we talk a lot about finding a niche. And I've, t- I talk about that professionally too, like, um, with, what I do in my industry, like find your niche, cater to that niche. Don't worry about anybody else. But I think there's a lot of value in also having a really, a mindset of curiosity and a mindset of exploration and a mindset of exploration and, um, the example that I can give from my own experience coming from a person who things that I've talked about on the podcast before, um, gifted and talented child, a lot of pressure, high expectations, ADHD. And one of the characteristics with having ADHD and being high performing, um, perfectionism. People with ADHD in general have a drive for perfectionism. And um, I have had all of that kind of stewing in me for a very long time. Right before the pandemic, I took up knitting. Um, The timing was excellent because it was just when murmurs of like something weird is happening in China We don't know for sure what's going on, but it could be really big. Um, So like when all of that was happening and we didn't know what the the reaches of that were going to be, um, it was all coincidental, but um, I learned how to knit. And one of the things that I really love about knitting is that if you make a mistake, it's really, really easy to just pull your needles out rip a bunch of yarn out and start over again. And it's, it's, it just, it's over. And so that lends a lot of freedom to experimentation and trying things and seeing how things work. And so you can, you can try, um, how, how does, how does this thing look with this yarn? How does, um, this yarn composition, because if you have like, I can, I can get pretty nerdy about this, but like if you have a yarn with maybe a lot of silk content in it, um, it'll be a little bit shimmery and it'll be a little bit flowy. And, um, so is that going to look good 
for this particular kind of pattern that I want to make. Um, and so there's a lot that you can do and a lot that you can play around with and a lot of freedom because if you make a mistake, nobody's ever going to know. One, they probably not even notice it if they ever e even saw the thing that you knitted, right? But two, you can just rip it out and try again. And this has been really freeing for me in a lot of other aspects because it really has helped drive home the point that one, most people don't care when I mess up. And two, even if they like, well, I guess I should reverse that one. They're probably not going to notice. And two, they're probably not going to care. And I care a lot more than anyone else does. And three, like most mistakes that you make are pretty easy to rectify. And this applies to a lot more than just knitting. And so that's given me a lot of like, oh, I could try that thing. I could just do that thing, see what happens. And it's not disastrous. Um, I don't know how to help foster that for other people, though, because for me, it's required a degree of reassurance, I think, like, like, no, really, it's okay. It, it, it really, genuinely, it is okay. So if you go to a drawing class or you do something like you look on YouTube for how to draw Mickey Mouse, right? Like, and it doesn't look like Mickey Mouse. A lot of people are going to be really discouraged, right? They're just going to be like, well, this, this didn't turn out right. I guess I'm not an artist and that's going to be like the end of it. But for me at this point in my life, I think it would be like, oh, hey, look, let's put this in a drawer and let's keep drawing Mickey Mouse and let's see if we can get like the circles better next time or like his nose to look nosier, <laughs> like whatever it needs <laughs> to be, you know? So I guess, I guess that's one of my questions is like, how do we help? foster reassurance for people how do we give them permission like i give you permission but i don't know <laughs> i don't know how that helps people you know right i mean, i feel like there has to be some sort of messaging or some sort of mechanism to get people to understand that like they don't have to create art that is the highest level of art before they can just show it to people. And this is true, like, of so many different things. Like, I remember when I first started podcasting um, with you and with Alex when we were doing the Gemcast, I was, like, seriously upset about the sound quality of me at all times. And I'm like, I sound horrible and this is horrible. But, like, literally, we never got that kind of feedback from anybody. Like, nobody mm -mm. was like, well, Tempest sucks. Like, <laughs> right? Because, and, and what I came to realize was that... People aren't necessarily looking for NPR quality when they're listening to podcasts. They want to make sure they can hear you. Like they mm -hmm. don't want it to be like you and like some horrible background noise. But like as long as they can hear you and understand you, what they're interested in is what you have to say, what what information you're delivering, right? And that's true with so many different aspects of art. XKCD is one of the most popular webcomics of all time. That's some stick people. It's literal stick people. One of them has a hat. Like <laughs> It is not complicated art, string right? Hair. But like, yep. Right. Like string hair. One guy has a hat. Like, but the thing is, is that XKCD is as great as it is, not because like the art is something to be looking at, but that the art is is enough so that you understand like that's a character, that's a character, that's a character. And then it's what they have to say, right? What are those characters saying? Um, so you don't have to have art that's even like representative in order to have something that's good. It wouldn't necessarily work if Russell Monroe wasn't actually good at like the little stories that he's telling or like what those characters have to say, right? If it was just like stick figures and somebody going blah, 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 like nobody would want to look at that. But that's because like it's, it, there's nothing to it, right? But there's definitely something to an XKCD strip or whatever they're doing now. And, you know, just like people... People like I have friends who always apologize to me when they can't sing exactly correctly in my presence. And they're like, I know that you studied music. And I'm like, 
but do you think I care about that? <laughs> like, I only care about it when it's karaoke, but that's only because I'm like, if we're going to be singing karaoke, then I expect better. But if you're just like walking around your house singing, I don't care that it's like not the greatest ever. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Your, your expectations for karaoke are very high. Oh, yes. Oh, and see, this is why I won't do karaoke. <laughs> and I, and quite honestly, I, it doesn't even really have to do with like me being a person who is like trained, uh, in like classical voice. It's more that if you are getting up on stage and performing, then you need to like do it right. Like you can't be getting up on stage with a microphone and then be like, or like, you know, whatever. I don't like that. But the thing is that most people who go to karaoke are not going to see a fantastic performance of that pop song that's popular right now by Dave. You know, (laughs) they're just going to like get drunk and be silly, right? And and I understand that, which is why I declined to go to karaoke. And people are always like, you got to come, you got to come. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. Because I will be a Debbie Downer. I will be the worst Debbie Downer in the history of karaoke. And you'll be mad that I was there. Because I will yell at you if you don't sing right. So that's why I just, I don't engage in karaoke. Okay. But if I'm like, you know, hanging out in somebody's house and they're singing along to the radio, I, I'm not expecting them to like be pitch perfect and like hit the same high notes that Whitney Houston can can hit. Like, even I don't do that when I'm running around sing- singing in the house, right? But, but people often just feel the need to apologize to me. So, like, <laughs> like a statement, just sing. It's fine. Uh, but, yeah, like, getting some kind of messaging out there about how any art that you create, even if it's not the highest quality ever, is still awesome. It's like you're still creating art. And, and under... Any circumstances, you can create some cool art that has meaning for people, whether or not it's like the, you know, highest quality of a Rembrandt. It doesn't matter. Um, And I think it's the same for dance and Mm -hmm. for singing and for playing instruments, especially if you're you're playing an instrument, again, not necessarily because you want to get out on stage and perform as a professional performer, but you just really enjoy like sitting around jamming with your friends on the ukulele. You know how to play the ukulele well enough that you can sit around and jam with your friends. That's fine, right? Oddly enough, I feel like people in the science fiction and fantasy community actually understand this really well, but that's probably because we're all nerds and outcasts anyway, so we, <laughs> we learned long ago not to like worry about what people have to say about us. But like... Filk singing, um, which for those of you who don't know, filk is, it's kind of like folk songs, but it's uh, it's about science fiction and fantasy stuff. So for instance, like Weird Al Yankovic is one of the most popular filk singers ever. And that's because he takes popular songs, but he like changes the lyrics and makes them nerdy, right? <laughs> so, you know, not all filk singing is that, but that's a lot of it. And sometimes filk singing is songs about some science fiction or fantasy thing. Like if you wrote about the ballad of Spock, that would be Filk. And sometimes it's just, you know, people sitting around singing. Sometimes it's a band where they get together and sing Filk together um, just at the convention, right? And Filk is a lot of fun. And Filk is not necessarily sung by people who could make it as a professional singer. It don't matter. It may not be sung by somebody who spends, you know hours and hours every day practicing the fiddle, the violin, the guitar, the whatever. That's fine. We do have some filk singers who are like professionals. As a matter of fact, we've had one of them on our show, S.J. Tucker. Um, we had uh, pretty early on, S.J. Uh, Suj is an amazing, amazing musician. And, and that's why everybody loves her. But like, you don't have to be Suj in order to take part in filking out of con, Right. And so that's one of the things I, I actually do love about our community is that at least, you know, within SFF fandom, there isn't as much emphasis put on having to be at a professional level to do the thing. And so there's a lot of creativity within fandom, um, fan art, fan fiction, filking, all of this stuff, right? And yes, some people do emerge from that and make a professional um, go at it. You know, like there are a lot of science fiction and fantasy writers that you know and you have read that started out writing fan fiction. And that was really helpful for them honing their skills. Um, there's, you know, probably several people who um, 
have made it as professional singers who may have started out doing filk. I, I don't know as much about filk as I know about the writers, so I couldn't like tell you who they were. Some people do both really well. Seanan McGuire, who also writes as Mira Grant, is not only a fabulous writer, she's a really great filker. Like, I have some of her albums. She's great. So I like that about our community, and I think that is why it took me such a long time in my life to because like I was in my 30s when I first started having these conversations about the bullet journals and like why are women like doing these things. And I think that's why it took me so long to to even notice that because not only did I go to a performing arts, you know, middle school and high school, so like I was actually taught, you know, about the arts. But then I went almost immediately as I became a young adult and in college and stuff into the science fiction and fantasy community where being a person who engages in art, even if you aren't a quote professional, was always encouraged and and always given a place because that's just how our community is. Um, if only the world could be like us. If only. Yeah, and I think uncoupling our worth from our productivity is an important component of this too because... I mean, so this all started out as a conversation, like the conversation was about art stemming from bullet journaling, right? Because the art is a way, or you can be productive while being artistic, right? The art is part of the productivity. And that's, that is fine. That's, that's excellent. It's, that's a way to do it. But also, there's a lot of value in not being productive and just doing things to do things. And I do not know that we get that messaging a whole lot nowadays. Like, I can't can't speak for the old times when... I don't know. I've been watching Emma a lot lately, like various adaptations of Emma. And it's like, we're sitting in a field with our embroidery hoops in a tent. And this is what we do for entertainment. And it's like, you know, uh, I don't know if that was considered productivity back then. Probably. But like, we ha- we carry our, our computer. We carry our computers in our pockets. We have computers on our wrists. And we, there's an expectation that we are on 24-7. Our employers want to be able to text us and have us answer any question, have us hop on our computers to solve a problem, to drop everything and come to our job at the mini-mart on a moment's notice, right? And so... We are supposed to be on all the time. And I feel like that is part of the mentality that comes into pursuits of creativity and the desire for whatever the creative thing is to be good for whatever the person's definition of good is. Because by gosh, we got to be able to bottle it or sell it or, (laughs) you know, like uh, replicate it or teach someone how to like, you know, teach it and package that up and sell it or like something. And I think that we could do with a mentality shift away from having a bunch of jobs to having things that we do for fun. Like your hobbies don't have to be drinking and binge watching Netflix. Like your hobbies can be drawing Mickey Mouse poorly. Your hobby can be learning to play the ukulele. Your hobby can be making up a dance to the next three songs that come on the radio. Like, whatever. It doesn't have to be good. And our brains need downtime, right? Like, downtime fosters both creativity and productivity. 
stepping away from your job can help you be better at your job when you're not steeped in it all the time. And that's another thing I don't know because it's a it's a mentality shift and I don't know how to give permission to people to do that. But my life is a lot better when I don't let myself stew in my work all the time. And if you're listening to this, I really encourage you to to try to make that mental shift too. Like you don't have to be good at it and maybe it's even better if you're not. Yeah, because then you're just having fun with it. You're just expressing yourself and letting it be whatever it is. And another thing is that thinking about all the things that you could do, you could do art, you could you know do music and whatnot. Um, one of the things that people sometimes get caught up on is is like, well, if I'm going to do art, like, don't I need like the best, most awesome tools to do the art? I need to buy like the most expensive ukulele, and I have to buy like the most expensive art supplies and the most expensive this and that. And um, I mean, and I've fallen into that, like uh, just before, was it just before? No, it was just after the pandemic. And I was like, I'm going to color. I have coloring books. I'm going to color. And then I was like, I need the most expensive coloring tools ever. How long have those coloring tools been sitting in the closet? We won't talk about it, but I bought the most expensive markers I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, yeah, I'm Are they color. alcohol markers? Like the fancy ones that you can? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Are you scared they're to use the them? Closet. I might as well drink them because <laughs> no, they're just in that. the closet right now. But I, I have to pull them out because um, I'm going to be making a coloring book for a secret reason, uh, which we'll learn about later. But so but you don't need to necessarily. Like one of the things that I did do um, was I found a class on Udemy that was like, how to like draw something cool with Crayola markers. And I was like, see, there you go. Because sometimes you just need like the markers from the dollar store, right? You don't need the most expensive, you know, blah, blah. And um, even with making music, one of the things I love is when people make music in ways that, you know, utilize something other than a traditional instrument. There's a guy that I follow on TikTok. His name is Joey Helpish, um, H-E-L-P-I-S-H so much fun and he makes you know he he does play traditional instruments but he also like has this program that he shows you know when when he makes these videos i don't know what the program is called but it it like you know lets him take little snippets of people saying things and turns it into a beat that you can dance to and whatnot it's so much fun right and he's making music with like some app on his phone that was probably 99 cents in the app store right and and there's ways to like do that kind of stuff, even with stuff that doesn't cost any money. There are so many different ways to do things without having to spend a lot of money. But that's that's sort of like, again, another mindset that people get mired in. But I say like, make art out of like just what you can find. You know, if, if you want to buy the very expensive markers and make your very beautiful bullet journal layout, go for it um, or your coloring book. But don't think that you have to. And it's often when we sort of have restrictions that we make our best art. I mean, one of the things that I do as a writing teacher is I'll say, you know, you only have 10 minutes to do this. Like I give you a writing prompt, you have 10 minutes. Like what, what can you write in 10 minutes? Um, it has to be under this word count. It can only be 500 words and only can be a thousand words. Um, it has to follow like these very specific parameters. And sometimes like keeping those parameters really narrow um, helps you like explode with creativity. That's one of the best things about it, you know, and I feel like that's, you know, a lot of the greatest art that we have, especially in modern times, comes from people like just playing around with like the stuff they can do. As a Black person, I uh, am required by law to love hip hop and rap. And I do. Um, And I remember... And this happened like in the mid to late 90s when I want to say it was Puff Daddy Diddy, whatever he's calling himself <laughs> now. I don't even know. The the P Diddy Daddy Duty. Um, he did um he made a song that utilized Sting's Every Breath You Take as a song, but he he redid it like, but that is the bass, that is the sample talking about um, Notorious B.I.G.'s death, you know, and it was a song like celebrating his friend and talking about how, you know, he missed him. So, 
you know, it was it was interesting because it like changes the um the context of the every breath you take, mm. I'll be watching you, like kind of thing, because before it was creepy. But I do remember like some white band and who knows who they were were talking smack about him because they're like, write your own songs, dude, whatever. And I'm like, do you know how much creativity it takes to take a song and to recontextualize it completely and put a different beat to it? Like that is art. That is art. Yep. And, you know, even doing something as simple as that, it's like taking two songs together and mashing them up in a way that is interesting and cool, which now, once again, you can do with a freaking app that costs 99 cents on the app store. That's art. And I I also think like, yeah, just like letting people know that like art is more than just these narrow things. Like art can encompass so many different things. And who knows like what the next great style of art is going to be that comes out of, you know, something like that. Because yeah, like hip hop emerged out of people like sampling songs and putting them together and rapping over it and making it a beat that you could dance to. Cool. And so what is the thing that that's going to evolve into in the next 10, 20 years? Um, what is, you know, people having a whole access to apps that uh, give them the ability to do that kind of art? What's that going to do? Even TikTok, which I roll my eyes about all the time and I complain and I, and I'm like, I'm on TikTok, but oh, it's so dumb. But TikTok has given rise to people like doing things where I'm like, you're a filmmaker and where is the Oscar that I can give you? Because I would like to hand you an Oscar for that. You in one minute, you did a whole arc of a story. Yep. And you made me cry. How did you do that? You know, and and again, like this started with Vine and, you know, now it's sort of evolved into TikTok. But like people are creating amazing art on TikTok in. Well, now they have up to three minutes. In under three minutes. Like, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm constantly, continually in awe of humanity and our ability to riff. (laughs) 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 We just, you know, talking about pedity. Like, sampling is a time-honored tradition. Musicians have been doing this stuff for centuries. And... Pete Diddy was not the first. It's been happening in classical music. Was not classical music when it happened. Um, But like iteration is a really valuable tool for innovation. And I don't know that we talk about that a lot. But if we talk about, if we think about technology and where we are now versus where we were in the 60s when we landed people on the moon like it's it's iterative this has been a very stepwise process over 50 years and where we are now versus where we are then is amazing so like do your thing whatever your thing is do it however you want maybe you'll spurn a whole new art artistic movement like who even knows um who knows what you can create or come up with but uh, i feel like you've got to give yourself permission to be bad you might be better than you think and you've got to give your space yourself the space to like and 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 i don't mean just time because we all i know everybody is time constrained, especially parents. Feel for parents because I know <laughs> I know it's so hard. But um, you've got to give yourself space to do things and try things and and to figure out what's for you and was what isn't for you because, like. Maybe maybe the ukulele isn't for you, and maybe drawing Mickey Mouse isn't for you, but maybe vocal mashups are, and you just don't know it yet. Yeah. So if you are listening to this podcast, I'm here to tell you that you are secretly a creative genius, and if you don't know it yet, it's only because nobody has told you that you're totally a creative genius, but I'm telling you now that you're a creative genius. And no matter if you have had training or if you think that you have an affinity or you think you have a talent, 
I think that you should um, lean into your creative genius, whatever it is. Like if there's something that you used to want to do when you were young and somebody told you that you couldn't, then you should just do it. You should do it. And also like in your mind, shake your fist at that person. Be like, you told me I couldn't do it, but I can't. Yeah. Because you can. We give you permission. Mm-hmm. You 100% have permission from me. Encouragement even. Yes. Beyond permission. So I, I would actually be really interested in hearing from people who had been discouraged from their creative pursuits and what you are going to do to attempt to pursue those creative creativities now. And maybe you don't want to do it right now because the world is on fire and there's a pandemic and we're still all really stressed. And no matter what the government tells us, COVID is still real. Sorry, folks. But, you know, once you have the ability to like break out of the stress and whether that's in a month or a year or 10 years, I want to know what you have decided to do with your creative genius. I want to know what kind of things that you are creating as a creative genius, because I believe that there are probably more creative geniuses out there than we know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you're waiting for your sign, this is it. This is a sign. If you build it, they will come. (laughs) How should people tell us about their creative endeavors? Um, well, you can tweet at us on the Twitters. Um, my Twitter is Tiny Tempest, and Aline's Twitter is Aline, A-L-E-E-N. Um, you can also tweet at Originality FM. You can find us on Instagram, or you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Tempest Bradford, And I'm Aline Mean on Instagram. Aline Mean, but you're not mean. No. It's... It, it, it's... An old bad joke. <laughs> e. uh, so yeah, so so tell us those things. Um, or if you uh, are not a person who likes to be on the social media, which I completely understand because social media will suck the creativity right out of you sometimes, um, you can uh, maybe contact us through the contact form from our website. My website is ktempestbradford.com. And but I don't have a contact form. <laughs> I don't really no blog. No one can contact you. And no one can the... contact me. Oh, no. Uh, well, you'll have to send it to me and I'll have to yeah, forward it to yeah. Elaine. <laughs> Tempest will let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so contact us in those ways. And, and maybe we'll have other ways for people to share their creativity. Maybe the two of us will suddenly find a well of um, energy... <laughs> An organization and like start a Discord server or something. (laughs) You can send your energy and organization to me via the universe (laughs) and good vibes. Indeed, we we're always here for good vibes. So yeah, so let us let us know because I'm I'm definitely interested in in knowing like how many people out there are like are ready to be the creative genius that they are, even though they've been told that it's not viable because it totally is. Yep. And I think that's it for this month. Um, Until July, when we should have a really great guest. I'm very excited to talk with them. Yes. That's it. Yes. But, you know, don't be afraid to contact us on the Twitters. Yeah. And maybe even the Instagrams. So until next episode, bye. Bye.